all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? <laughs> I'm Rachel. I'm exhausted. I mean, I'm David. <laughs> and this is all bad things. Yeah. Shift work is fun, isn't it? It is. Today was an especially long day, but that's all right. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. I'm just very glad I am not in the driver's seat tonight. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. And uh, fortunately, at least you're going to be switching permanently to just one shift instead of all this back and forth between days and nights. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You can permanently live as a vampire working Sound, the night shift. Sounds good to me. We just need to get those uh, blackout blinds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, we do. They work um, very well in the living room. So. They do. They do. Um, so follow us, Insta, Twitter, Facebook, at All Bad Things Pod. You can email us at allbadthingspod at gmail.com. That's an especially good place for suggestions and research. Yes. And um, <clears throat> some, some people have asked, like, is it okay to gather, like, not necessarily full-on research, but just information about a specific topic? And the answer is yes. Absolutely. Anything you want to yes. contribute is fantastic. We will always take it completely 100%. Um, we got a an interesting <clears throat> piece of information in an email by our uh, resident, uh, and by resident, I mean resident to the pod. <laughs> We're yes. calling her that. Um, uh, attorney, Alex. <clears throat> okay. And she was talking about, uh, we were talking about the three strikes law mm-hmm. in the dr- drug on wars. The drug on wars, <laughs> yes. The war on drugs In episodes. the uh, 94 crime bill is what it <clears throat> right. originated from. And she said, like everything in the law, the answer to your and David's questions about three strikes law is it depends. Sure. <laughs> So that's not surprising. Yeah. Both the federal government and about half the states have enacted their own three strikes laws. So both the federal law and each state's laws have different requirements and classify offenses differently. And I remember when that was being passed because I was actually taking my civics course. Oh, okay. During Uh this time. Mm -hmm. Um, Some states said that they would flat out like reject certain parts of the bill. I believe California was one of them. Okay. Actually, she goes into that, I believe. I think so, yeah. So, um, federally, currently, if a person is convicted of a violent felony, and a felony is by definition against federal law, I believe, that's, um, has a mandatory life sentence if they have already been convicted of two previous serious violent felonies, or one or more serious violent felonies, and one or more serious drug offenses. Sure. That's the thing. I'm, I'm actually not against the whole violent... Part, no, the fact that drug offenses are wrapped in that. Well, that's what I, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I forgot to point that out. Is mm. uh, I did kind of a poor job of tying in Bill Clinton to the war on drugs because I really only kind of talked about this. Mm-hmm. But, but yes, a lot of the three strikes. I don't know if victims is the right word. Um, a lot of people who fell under the. Oh, okay, the umbrella of the three strikes. Right, laws that a lot of a lot of criminals? them were. Um, 
because I, I've I read a lot of stories. Mm-hmm. Not a lot, but let's face it. There were people mm-hmm. who had committed felonies as like a teenager. Yeah. When you kind of don't, I mean. That's hard. That's a whole other and had, moral quagmire. And had other uh, just, you know, uh, minor drug charges that went away for life. Hmm. So it's well, like like everything. It's a it's a big, <coughs> it's a huge umbrella. All sorts yeah. of things can happen. But there were let's let's face it. There was a significant part of the population. You can guess them by the color of their skin. Yeah, unfortunately, that mm-hmm. that this really. I mean, and still affects. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. To this day. So Alex also says under the federal law, a serious drug offense means any conviction involving. One kilogram or more of heroin. That's quite Five a bit. kilograms or more of cocaine. That's a lot. A hundred grams or more of PCP. I don't know why you'd have that much. Ten <laughs> grams or more of LSD. That's a whole lot. Oh Four hundred grams or more of this drug that I've never heard of. N phenyl N one two phenylethyl four piperinidyl propanamide. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna guess it has a street name. Uh, probably. Sure. Um, a thousand kilograms or more of marijuana. That's a, a lot. Kilograms. That's a that, that's a lot. That sounds like a lot. Yeah, it is a and lot. And fifty grams or more of meth. And this that's, applies to the drugs. All and of those are all of those are a lot. Um, so if you get caught with any one of those, you're obviously selling the shit. Nobody's going to use any amount of that for personal use. North Carolina so. enacted their own three strikes law, but they refer to it as the habitual offenders law. And that sounds mm. a lot nicer, right? It does. Um, or more reasonable. The habitual Anyone? offenders. <laughs> Anyone who has been charged with three violent felony offenses in either federal court or state court is labeled as a habitual, habitual offender and subject to mandatory life sentencing. Um, I still don't agree with. Uh, ca- now, don't now so she weird. talks about California. California's is among the harshest of the three strikes law, oh, okay. including I guess I had many it more offensive, which qualify as a strike compared to most other states' laws, such as burglary, simple robbery, and providing hard drugs to minors. Um, I've always found this rather surprising, considering California's consistent liberal stance on many political issues. Yeah, that is so. Like you're saying, on personal of, stuff. Yeah, but look at who their legislators are. They're mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, as far so she said, as for the other comment in Monday's episode about the seizure of the drug dealer's car from the cops episode, mm-hmm. the police can't just take your belongings. In the particular case David mentioned, the police were already in the house under what I can only assume was a search warrant. Let's hope so. The search warrant could very well have included the car as an item of the, quote, place to be searched and things to be seized, end quote. So also in the process of conducting a search warrant, the police are allowed to seize items out in the open that are evidence of a crime. So if while searching the house, a cop looked into your car and saw drugs sitting on the seat, the car is fair game because it was well, visible, sure. openly visible. And it's called, so. and I, I did fumble over this, we both did, uh, it's called civil asset forfeiture. Okay. That's what it's called. Oh, John Oliver did a whole thing on yes. that. Yeah. yeah. And I've watched, and for the most part, it's absolute bullshit. And then this is for you to see. Those are, um, those are Alex's kitties. Oh, okay. On the left is Lulu, and on the right is Kiki. Oh, very They're cute. Very cute. Very cute kitties. I love kitties. <laughs> Although these oh, are full-grown cats. But they're still cute. They they're are. all babies. They're all yes. just adorable little They're very sweet. Babies. Look at that. Very the sweet Kiki's looking. eyes. Mm-hmm. And, and little Lulu's, like, languid. I can tell Lulu oh, is, is the, uh, the, the Jesse of our group. I think so. And, this, and uh, Kiki's the Demetrius. I yes. think so, too. So thank you, Alex. It's yes, very nice much. to get input from someone who actually knows what they're talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. <laughs> and and again, 
like anytime we screw something up or mm-hmm. whatever, feel free to call us out Absolutely. because we don't we don't want to get things wrong and have it stay that way. Right. So if yeah. You, yeah. Corrections are always welcome. We yeah. know, we do our best to get information right and, and clear, but we're obviously not experts. So it's really helpful when somebody does have knowledge yeah. beyond what we do, which is most of the time um, to share that with us. Another thing um, we got a, a message um I think I'm gonna not name this listener just in case. Don't don't want to. It, it's not calling them out, but um, uh, contacted us via Facebook with just some concerns about um, how I may have come across in the Python episode, which you agreed I may have come across a bit heated. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, in the uh, Pythons of the Florida Everglades episode, and just this- a skosh, yeah. as you would say. <laughs> And this listener was a loyal, loyal listener. So, um, uh, and and just like was like, hey, you know, you came across kind of shaming and judgy, and I was like, what? Me? Yeah. Never. You no. should be. You should be around her in real life. <laughs> That's so mean. <laughs> That's really mean. You, you left that door wide open, so I, I had to close it. I'm sorry. Oh, no. Bad. Do not do not feel bad because because so, we we often agree on most things. <laughs> Fair enough. No, so um, so I fully recognize that in in like chatting away for an hour every week, I probably say shit that comes across as really harsh. Honestly, it's because I kind of hate humans as opposed to non-vegans. I hate vegans equally. <laughs> no. That's true. That's you all. do. Yeah, I, I am you, pretty you down hate the, on You vegans. hate the pretentious ones. Oh, I know, yes. I know that. Oh, yes. But what I never want to do is make people feel ashamed of their life choices because I get that there are philosophical differences in some cases, because like remember, medical differences, all sorts of... Remember, Rachel hates it all. So that's does, right. Does I just Matter what everybody. Your, doesn't matter what your life choice is. <laughs> you will feel the hate. No, but I love our listeners and I never want anybody to feel like I'm getting down on them or judging them. So I really appreciate um, them sharing about that. And I'll try to be mindful of that in the future. And any of our loyal listeners, and notice that I'm saying loyal listeners, like people who actually care enough to reach out mm-hmm. to us about it, instead of leaving a fucking one-star review calling us insufferable, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> you can go fuck yourself. But anyone who's like, hey, you know, I noticed this and it's putting me off, like, I appreciate that. That's yeah, That's absolutely. good constructive criticism. And and I will we will always take that into account. So thank you for that. Feel free constructive criticism is welcome <laughs> shared privately and not on an iTunes review. <laughs> All right. So if, uh, if from now on we come across as a bit too nihilistic, it's just probably because maybe we had one too many cocktails. That night. <laughs> it's possible. Maybe just a little passable. <clears throat> All right. Any other housekeeping items or anything? you can? I don't of? think so. All right. So I thought we would get back to our, our, Roots! Bloody roots! Oh, very nice. Oh, a a Sepultura reference. Yeah. Zach will very much enjoy that. <laughs> Aren't they uh, Brazilian? They are. Look bra- at all that I remember. A Brazilian metal band. <laughs> yes, check out the song Roots, Bloody Roots by Sepultura. Sepultura. Yes. Yes, you're right. Shout out to Zach. Just look up Roots, Bloody Roots. It'll be a lot easier to spell than Sepultura. <laughs> but if you see a weird looking name come up. That's it. It's them. <laughs> um, because we've gone, I think I, I enjoyed the foray into the war on drugs. And I think a lot of our, like we got good feedback on it too. Teddy said she enjoyed it. Um, 
Stevens, I'm just naming loyal listeners at this point, but a lot of people gave us positive feedback on it, even though it was a a fair amount different than what we normally do. It was a bit of a reach as far as... As disasters go. Right. But I had wanted to do it for a while. Yeah, I get it. And I think the main reason I wanted to do it is because still every day, to this day... It's still going on, yeah. You feel the effects of it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's an ongoing disaster. It is, and it is really horrible. That that there is seemingly no escape from, Mm -hmm. except for legalization in some states. Mm -hmm. And I think it was Teddy... I think it was Teddy in an email. She said... um, I agree with David that this is a disaster, and I re- agree with Rachel that it's a crime. So, yeah, it's it's a... It's I think a, it counted. I'm glad we did it. It's a cremaster. <laughs> a crimaster. Or a design. <laughs> a design. Yes, I like that better. Yes, it's a design. Uh, so, I thought we would get back to not just our roots, but, like, a crowd pleaser, even though that's, like, the worst way to put it. Just a good old reliable, yeah. standard, fair... Air disaster. That's what I figured. We're going plane crash. Oh, man. We're not going just any plane crash, though. Is there a a famous one we have yet to cover? Oh, I guess there are. So it it is. It is famous in how devastating it was. It is not necessarily famous by name unless you're super into disasters. Remember when we did Tenerife? Yes. That was, that's the deadliest aviation disaster. But I had never heard of it. Never heard of it either. So this is another one that maybe we haven't heard of the name of. Although this has been sitting on my list forever because it's up there with the worst disaster. So, yeah. Are we ready? Let's let's get into it. This is the story of the Charky Daudry mid-air collision. Ooh. <clears throat> yeah, those are never good, right? No. So, on November 12th, 1996, Saudi Arabian Airlines Flight 763 and Kazakhstan Airlines Flight 1907 mm. collided mid-flight over mm. the village of Charky Daudry, killing all 349 people on board both planes in what remains the world's deadliest midair collision. Yeah, I'll bet. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. I always think of that when we're taking off. Because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're do. incredibly rare. Yes, First of all... Yes, they are. Uh, it's, it's, you have a better chance of winning the lottery. Plane crashes are rare. Yeah. I mean, I know it seems like there we have tons of them on our list, but think of the millions and millions of flights that have happened. Th- tens of thousands of them going on at any given time mm-hmm. every day. And so few of them result in, mm-hmm. in any incidents, let yeah. alone crashes. That's why when it does, it's a huge story. And especially mid-air. I mean, just because of how huge... The air, the atmosphere is like <laughs> we have big air. We have the best. We have the best air. <laughs> this is Indian air, though. That's true. <laughs> India has a, the have best a, air, apparently. <laughs> they do not have the no. best air. <laughs> no, not in this have case. Have we seen what it looks like on the ground in India? Wow. So, so just the the rarity of two planes in such a gigantic airspace finding each other is uh, yeah, yeah. almost impossible. So we're going to we're going to go into how that Ooh, will happen. Yeah, God. it's not it's not going to be good. No. <clears throat> um so I also want to introduce something a little bit different. I always save the list of sources that I use for every single episode that I've researched. My intentions have always been to put them up on our website, which I oh, we have never, a website? never do. Oh, it's, <laughs> I know, I know, it's horrible. Anyway, um, but seeing as I've been complete shit 
about doing that ever. And our website's so horribly um, out of date that I don't even plug it anymore. I, and I honestly can't tell you the last time I've been to it. <laughs> I really either, can't. And that's the problem. It's, it's very possible. It's been over a year. That's the problem. <laughs> um, uh, but there's also, I don't know if you're aware of this, um, those in sort of the podcasting community on Facebook groups and stuff might be, uh, there's been some controversy about plagiarism recently in uh, the podcasting community, apparently, and I don't even remember what they're called, and I've never listened to them, but there's some famous and very popular true crime uh, podcast that has apparently, like, straight up lifted stuff from people and not given any credit or, or uh, citations or sources or anything. And then when they were called out for it, they just, like, deleted those episodes and didn't say anything else about yeah, it. Yeah, that's a bit sketchy. And they do have sponsors, so they're making mm-hmm. money off of it, you know. See, we can plagiarize like, all we want well, because we're, we don't have any... No. We have no skin in the game. No. Um, but you, you can bet that... None um, of these are original given, thoughts. Right. <laughs> Just for the record. You can bet that two sources I always go to mm-hmm. are Wikipedia mm-hmm. and the History Channel, history.com. I always go to those two. So what I decided I'd do is just at the top, cite my main sources. Sure. Um, Now, I check little facts here and there. And so, like, if it's I literally just looked to to convert kilometers to (laughs) miles, I'm not going to cite that. But I I do still have the list of everything. And you are, on average, also not not likely to get it correct either. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so I don't want to make it sound like they're wrong. <laughs> so my main sources were, of course, yes, number one, Wikipedia. Fuck anyone who says that all we do is read off Wikipedia. It's a talent to do so. Yes, it is. And also, Wikipedia is really damn good. And they're um, It's just because everything is organized yes. in like a and certain well way. well edited. And yes. they're doing their fundraiser now. So we need to give I always give other them people need to get three, to. Three bucks. Yep. Um, also, News Mobile. All that's interesting. Or interesting. Interesting. All interesting things. And Mayday slash aircraft investigation. Apparently, so that's the, the National Geographic um, air disaster show, Mayday. Oh, okay. Uh, and apparently in other countries, it's called air crash investigation. Oh. And I watched the first bit with dramatic reenactment. Did you all. watch the Saudi Arabian version of a... Uh... I think it was Dutch. Oh, I think because okay. they had like a scroll. It was all in English, but they had a scroll at the top, like announcing the programming that was coming up next or whatever. And, and the, I think it was in Dutch. And the person that was narrating was constantly talking about their wooden shoes. <laughs> I'm kidding. For all of our for all of our listener in the <laughs> in the Netherlands, I think we have one. <laughs> you, and you say I'm I'm cheesy. My goodness. And then the Associated Press. So those were my main sources. Some people may not get the wooden shoes thing, but anyway. I think it's like the easiest, silliest <laughs> little joke other than tulips and bicycles and windmills. I don't know and about And the red those. light district. Is, is that what they say about them too? You know that Amst- or, um, the Netherlands are known for their tulips? I no, Yeah, I did beautiful not. tulips apparently and also their windmills. Oh, okay. And their drugs and free um, sex work or uh, legal sex work. <laughs> not free. <laughs> no, you pay for it. <laughs> what business is but okay so we're gonna start with our good old geography corner yes so obviously this disaster took place literally in the middle of the sky 
However, the reason it's called the Charky Dodri midair collision is that it happened over the village of Charky Dodri in India. So to zoom out, and yes, I know I'm getting a little basic, but... I believe this is our second trip to India. Okay, what was the, our first? Uh, the Bhopal disaster. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. So just to state the obvious, and I hope everyone already knew this, India is in Asia. Um, it is at least partially a peninsula. has a peninsular stem. Peninsula. Yeah. And it is between, it has Pakistan to its east, Bangladesh to the west. It's south of Nepal and China. Yeah, it's a... Somewhat chaotic location. It, it kind of is, Not right? somewhat. It, it is. And uh, Charky Dodri isn't far from New Delhi. Okay. Uh, so it's only about 110 kilometers or 68 miles northwest of New Delhi. And a lot of people probably recognize New Delhi by name because it is the capital That's of what I was India. just going mm-hmm. to ask. I knew it was either that or one of its bigger cities, one or the other. Can you name another city in... India? I probably could have, like, yesterday, <laughs> but I can't today. Fair enough. Sharky Dodgery. <laughs> well, now you know Sharky Dodgery, right? Sharky <laughs> Dodgery. Yes. Uh, so, uh, New Delhi is the second most populous... Oh, wait, okay. India is the second most populous country in the world, and it's not far behind China at right. all. They're kind of neck and neck. They are a little bit, yes. Um, and it's the capital of the second largest country in the world by population, so therefore it's obviously a pretty important city, but it actually isn't the most populous city in India. Mumbai is, oh. which used to be called Bombay back oh, in the day. Okay, so yes. if you ever heard of Bombay, it's it's Mumbai now. Where they've been uh, at least once on... The Amazing Race. Oh yes, uh huh. Yeah, that's when that's when all the little all the little like prissy people really tap out is when they get to India. Yeah, because they're like, it's so that was the one that the uh, the hockey brothers won. Did they? They went to India. Yes, I'm pretty sure. Okay, I'm pretty sure. I don't. I don't really remember either. It's hard to keep all of the seasons of the Amazing Race straight. in, In case anybody's keeping score on how awesome hockey is. Two hockey players won the Amazing Race one season. <laughs> in one of the best seasons. I, I enjoyed that season very much. And the Taglia Brothers. <laughs> they both live here. And yeah. We've, and we've, they have a bar. We've been to their dive bar. <laughs> yes. Super dive And it is a dive bar. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And we had a, what did we have? A, like a, a you get a PB, Evan Williams You get a PBR shot. and a shot of Evan Williams yeah. and it's called something. Yeah. It's like, a, it's it's like a five special. bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes you feel right at home. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Eh? Oh, yeah. So geographically within India, Charki Dadri and New Delhi are pretty far north. So they're not on the peninsular part in the ocean. They are much closer to Pakistan, China, and Nepal. So now over to our history corner. Now, I promise you I'm not going to go back to the beginning of Indian civilization yeah, that's, because... it's going way back. Um, we're just going to touch on what kind of place India was in the 90s. And it was pretty wild, I gotta say. Um, I thought you were going back to uh, British colonial time. (laughs) Well, so we're going... We'll, we'll we'll skirt a little bit the British colonialism, but we'll talk. They're they're coming out of British colonialism. Sure. Well, they've anyway. been out, but yeah, yeah, starting to so, come into their own a little bit, maybe. Well, so here. There was a remarkable amount of both good and bad stuff going on in India during the 90s. You could say the same thing about America. Well, you could <laughs> say any decade. anywhere, anytime, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, um, 
the prime minister of India from 91 to 96, and his um, office ended just a few months before this disaster. So we're talking about just before all this happened. Um, The prime minister was, all apologies to Indian friends, Pamela Parthi Venkata Narasimha Rao, or PV Narasimha Rao. And I have a picture of him. I'm gonna go with a. Uh, I'm gonna go with the yes on that one. Okay. So this gentleman at the top. Oh, okay. Is see, Prime Minister Rao. See, in the picture, he's even giving you a thumbs up. No, so that's there you not go. him. Oh, that's okay. Him. Well, the other the guy. Top. Yeah, we'll talk about him in a second. Okay. But you're right. He's giving. He, here, yeah. I haven't pronounced his name yet, though. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how he feels in a second. Yeah, that thumb might be going down. So under Rao and his finance minister, who is this gentleman, oh. uh, Manmohan Singh. And also, Manmohan Singh went on to become India's prime minister in 2004. Sure, because so. he was the finance minister at one point, so that kind of yeah, makes sense. Yeah, and he ended up serving as prime minister for a decade. Okay. So, um, under these guys, India experienced quite an economic transformation. So, when they came into office, there was a huge deficit issue, which obviously led to a lot of economic problems, to the point of basically they were in an economic crisis in India. And the crisis was brought on by, and I find this absolutely fascinating, something called the License Raj. Okay. So the License Raj came into play once British colonial rule ended, which was like uh, 47, I think. And it was, this is so fascinating, an incredibly complex system of bureaucracy, wherein the government controlled Everything having to do with commerce and labor down to like the minutiae. So that meant the complete nationalization of most major industries. So it required huge amounts of licensing, regulations, and basically just like rolls and rolls of red tape. So I think we've taken a pro-regulation stance for safety and such on this on this show, but this is like beyond what most people would consider reasonable intervention to ensure health and safety down to like near fascism, I guess, just like everything is state controlled. So the license Raj resulted in very slow economic growth, eventually resulting in stagnation. It also concentrated wealth to the few industry license holders because they would only give licenses to a certain number of people, making taxes easy to evade and hard to collect and, of course, allowing corruption to grow. But that was just India back then. That's yeah. that, there's nobody else that, that that's an issue for anymore. That's never happened anywhere else in the world. <sighs> so, <laughs> under Rao and Singh, the decision was made to request assistance from the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, basically to bail them out. And it was given, but the IMF had really strict stipulations. They would have to completely dismantle the license Raj. They're like, fuck okay. this shit. We're not giving you money they're if like, you don't get rid of this. They're like, this is the reason we're giving you money. <laughs> right, so, right. So, so, you so to not do it again, you have to get rid of this. Exactly. So members of their own party, Rowan Singh's own party, were not thrilled about this because sure. obviously lots of people and politicians were thriving under this corrupt system. Because they're getting bailed out, but with a huge string attached. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, unlike the bailout that we had 11 years ago, mm-hmm. where there yep. were no strings attached. Yep. But even people who weren't happy about it 
couldn't bulk at the actual results. India, as a result of the bailout and the dismantling of the license Raj, India experienced a dramatic rebound in the economy and the country's GDP, gross domestic product, nearly tripled in the five years Rao was in office. So economic boom time, right? Which in the early mid-90s, that was pretty much what was happening worldwide. There was a lot of economic upswing for a lot of countries. Not every country, but for a lot of countries. So you're telling me there's an example of <clears throat> removing concentrated wealth <laughs> and oh, then a boom happens? Oh, hold on. Hold well, on. sure. I'm sure there's another... The Well, here, the overall quality of life in India has greatly improved sure. or, as a result of this, but they're a still developing nation, but the country still experiences... Great income inequality. Oh yes, and I, that it I think happens. Most everywhere. people know about that. It happens yes. everywhere, right? We're well, sure experiencing. Hey, there's got there's got to be winners and losers, right? Oh my God, who said that? It was the guy we were listening to. Oh, on, on the uh, podcast, Adam Ru- not Adam ruins everything. Um, yeah, Adam Conover. Factually, yeah, with Adam Conover, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Great um, podcast, by the way. I can't remember the guy's name. But. Yeah, me neither. He was a weird. He was Weird strange. <laughs> kind of swung many ways. Yes. Various points. You okay. went from liking him to hating him really easily. Yeah. And then vice versa. Yeah. So there's this economic upswing because of the dismantling of the license Raj. Singh and Rao are doing good work. But on the other side of life in India during the early and mid-90s, there was a lot of social upheaval, specifically politically. There was a lot of terrorist activity. Mm. So... There was a the prime minister from 84 to 89, Rajiv Gandhi, was assassinated by a suicide bomber in 1991. So just a couple years after being out of office, right? And sadly, his mother, Indira Gandhi, had actually been assassinated in 84 as well. So, um, And that event killed Gandhi hit the bomber, and 14 other people. Oh, so wow. Was, yeah, that okay. was pretty... This is a... Um, the picture on top, it's very interesting. These are his clothes in a museum. That's that's what he was wearing when he died. Like, and well, you can see you can, the holes. You can and, see where all the yeah. shrapnel went. Yeah. Damn. Sadly, yeah. In 1992, religious tensions between Hindus and Muslims resulted in the destruction of a centuries-old mosque called the Babri Majid. There were 13 separate bombing incidents on one day, known wow. as Black Friday in Holy Bombay, shit. as a direct, or Mumbai, I guess maybe it was still called Bombay back then, I'm not positive, I may have miswritten that, um, as a direct result of the mosque's destruction. So they destroyed the mosque, that was retaliation. Um, the first convictions for those those uh, bombing incidents came down in 2017. It took 24 years to prosecute anybody for those. Yeah. Oh, shit. So, politically, socially, lots of tension, also a lot of growth, developing nation. It's kind of just a wild time. It's uh, it's growing pains. Yeah. Yeah, developing. We have a, we have a, not for everybody, but we now have somewhat of a middle class. And now we, and now we also have... You know, when more people, uh, more opportunity thing? for right. more people, and that's now we have, gonna... and now we have more clashes because uh, who knows? And well. then religious tensions, which yep. are just guaranteed to cause problems. So, now, also during this time, and highly pertinent to this story, is India's open skies policy. 
So during the 80s, India developed a problem with international air cargo capacity. So it made it hard to deliver raw materials and goods to and from the country. So that slowed commerce to the region because of a lack of on-time delivery. Sure. Right? And if anyone who's worked in manufacturing, on-time delivery is like everything. Um, In 1990, the Indian government adopted an open skies policy. So that allowed carriers from any nation who met certain standards on operation and safety to be able to fly in and out of any international airport in India, regardless of whether the flights were scheduled or not. So there was a lot more freedom to enter Indian airspace, right? This obviously led to huge growth in the cargo and manufacturing sectors, but also to major congestion yeah. in the country's international airports. Yeah. So, that's I'm guessing, all our corners. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that that sets up our entire episode. It's not as big of a part of it as you'd think. Okay. But it's part of it. No? Okay. So, yeah. So, now that we know, backdrop of all of this, the country that this happened over, because it was midair... Which is very rare. We don't have that many in-air... I mean, the Challenger. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> Columbia. That's, Eventually the too. Challenger when we cover it. Um, have we covered any mid-air... It's always somebody crashing into something. This, they I, I don't think we've done other. a mid-air. Yeah. We've done kind of, but Tenerife, one of the planes that, is on that the That was ground. on, yeah. It, or that they were both on the air. ground. I think they were both on the ground, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. One of them, I believe, was taking off. I think they were on the runway. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. But midair, I don't think we've done. No, I think this is our first. So let's talk about the flights now. The two, obviously, there were two involved because it was a midair collision. So the first flight we'll discuss was a Boeing 747-168B being operated by Saudi, Arabian, uh, Saudi Arabian Airlines Flight 763. Can I tell you how many times I wanted to type Saudi Arabia? <laughs> Saudi Arabia. Like, it's it's ridiculous. That works, so. too. I think that works. <laughs> but yeah. it's not. If you say it, but if you write it, it looks ridiculous. So. Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so the 747 is, of course, a very large aircraft. Yes. It, it mm-hmm. was the original jumbo jet. Like, when they, oh, it was first manufactured. still plenty of them around. Yep. When it was first manufactured, that's what coined the term jumbo jet. Um, because of obviously how big it was. So flight 763 took off from, see if you recognize this name, Indira Gandhi International Airport. I recognize the, uh, the second word. Yes, but remember. Oh, that's right. She was assassinated. Yes. The mom of the prime minister. Yes. Uh huh. 84. So the airport was named after her. So the little I'm tie always, back there. When I, whenever I hear Gandhi, I can only think of uh, I know Mahatma, Mahatma Gandhi, Gandhi, and I can also only think of Ben Kingsley. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm imagining Gandhi was maybe a relatively, or is maybe even a relatively common name or something. I guess I'm I, really I, not sure, but I do not know. Obviously, it wasn't so uncommon that maybe that other people had it. So, um. So, Flight 763 was taking off from Indira Gandhi International Airport in New Delhi and was heading west for Duran International Airport in Duran, Saudi Arabia. And that's on the east coast of the country. So, Saudi Arabia is on the Persian Gulf, mm-hmm. and the east coast is where it was. Um, so, for context, it's about a four-and-a-half-hour flight from New Delhi to Duran. So it's kind of like... It's like going flying. from here to California. Exactly. It's like flying across yeah. the U.S. from the eastern seaboard to the western seaboard. So 
Um, it was then scheduled, so so that was its first stop, and then it was supposed to continue on to Jeddah on the west coast of Saudi Arabia, which is very close to Mecca. Oh, okay. Which is known for its pilgrimages during uh, the, the Hajj. Of the Mecca and Medina? What's that? I thought that was the, uh, isn't Medina the other holy place they go to? I don't know. I've only, I've not heard of Medina. I think it is. Anyway. Okay. Anyway. All right. Well, that's, uh, pe- people go during the Hajj, t- uh, um, I literally just lost my entire train of thought. I'm, I'm sorry. just going to read that's, this. That's my fault. Known for its pilgrimage, pilgrimages during the Hajj, which itself means pilgrimage, and is religiously significant to those who practice Islam. So I read something like 2 million people a year go to Mecca during Hajj. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, Flight 763 was being flown by Captain Khalid al Shubaili. I'm so glad I put the pronunciation there. Yeah, this is tough. We have uh, we have Arabic and Indian names. And Kazakhstan. <laughs> yeah. Kazakh. Yes, and Russian. Yeah. We're going to get into this, Russian. This is going to be bit. a lot of fun for people who love to hear us screw up names. <laughs> and first officer, Nazir Khan. Okay. Now, total side note. I was like, why does that name sound so familiar to me? I know why. Why? Uh, well, it's not the exact same name, but there was a man named Kazir Khan. Who was he? He spoke at the. He was the father of the, uh, um, oh, Muslim the, soldier that was killed in Iraq. Who, when who during Donald the Trump, primaries, who Donald Trump that? made fun of. Okay, okay, that might be it. That might be it. Anyway, I googled the name to see if like there was somebody else famous called um, Nazir Khan, and the answer is it's apparently a pretty common name. There's yeah. uh, the Khan um, for sure. There was a famous 20th century Pakistani actor and filmmaker named Nazir Ahmed Khan, and he had a son-in-law named Nasir Khan. So basically, that's all to say, I guess it's relatively common. So anyway, um, so Al-Shabaili was a 45-year-old man and an experienced pilot with almost 10,000 flight hours under his belt. Oh, so, so yeah, plenty. Yep. Uh, there were 21 other crew members on board. Remember, this is a jumbo jet, so there's a big crew, right? And 289 passengers. Wow, yeah. That's so there's a lot 312 of people. people on board. Yep. That, yes, because there's 23 crew plus 289 passengers is 312 people. Yes, there are a lot of people. Most of the passengers were Indian. Makes sense. It's coming from India. Um, a fair chunk were also from Nepal, um, some from Pakistan, a couple from America, Bangladesh, Britain, Saudi Arabia. A large number of the passengers aboard 763 were working class people from Uttar Pradesh and Bihar in India who were traveling from India to work in Saudi Arabia as household employees. So like drivers, cooks, housekeepers, etc. The other plane involved was an Illusion IL-76TD, a Russian aircraft, and that's what this is. That's this plane. Oh, okay. Do you notice anything unusual looking about it? Well, it looks like it can land on its belly. It does kind of look like that, right? Yeah. yeah. It's it's an odd... It doesn't look like a commercial airliner, No, it does, does it? not. That's because it, it was built primarily for military applications. Sure, it looks like a cargo mm-hmm. plane. Yeah, and you can tell looking at it, right? Um, but it was used in civilian applications as well. So it was developed primarily... Well, people are cargo. Yep. Yeah. It was It was developed primarily um, for the Russian military, is the idea. But then it was eventually used for civilian uses as well. 
The flight was being operated by Kazakhstan Airlines and giving the designation of flight 1907. So I'm going to prattle a bit and confess something that makes me feel very stupid. The first time I ever heard of Kazakhstan <laughs> was Borat. Was Borat. <laughs> And I thought he was making it up. I didn't think it was a real country. Okay. It is very much a real country. Not only is it a real country, did you know it is the world's largest landlocked country? It is quite large as a country. I think he might have said that in the movie. He may have. He may have. So that's super embarrassing. Well, it's also know that for it's a while. also a a new old country. Mm-hmm. It, it was a it was a satellite. Part of the, of the USSR mm-hmm. for a long time, mm-hmm. but it was independent before that, and then became some, whatever. Gotcha. That whole part of the world is yeah. just chaos. Yeah. Now, flight 1907 was on its way in to Gandhi International. So we've got flight 763 is outbound. Flight 1907 is inbound from Shimkent International Airport in Kazakhstan. So there were 10 crew and 27 passengers on board. So obviously much fewer than the jumbo jet. The flight was being captained basically by flight 763's captain's exact counterpart. So we had a 45-year-old with 10,000 almost 10,000 hours of flight experience. On this flight, it was a 44-year-old with over 9,000 hours of experience. They're basically the same person, right? Two super experienced Middle-aged pilots, right? Ever, they, it's a great, uh, it's a great tale of the tape. Was that a tale of the tape? Is when they like before a boxing match, they give the boxers statistics. Oh, okay, I gotcha. I and when know they're that. and when they're almost equal, it's like, oh, this is going to be a great match. Oh, okay, yeah, because uh, yeah, that would make sense because there's no clear winner, right? Yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, and that the captain of 1907 was, and technically he was commander, so I guess he was military, um, was Gennady Cherepanov. And this was a chartered flight. Most of the passengers were Russians by ethnicity and Kyrgyzstani by citizenship. So, next confession. I had not. (laughs) No, I until literally I looked into this whole episode. Uh, It is just southeast of Kazakhstan, which because I didn't say this before, is just south of Russia and west of China. Needless to say, my Asian geography is pretty horrible. I apologize. Oh, did you also know that there's a Tajikistan? Yeah, Tajikistan. Yeah. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of of I stand for stands. There's a lot of stands. Yeah. A lot of stands in Europe. Uh, Nope. Asia. (laughs) (laughs) So the passengers um, in flight 1907 were primarily going to India for shopping. Oh, okay. Traveling from Kazakhstan to India for shopping. So we have a jumbo jet full of people leaving India to travel to Saudi Arabia to work. And a chartered flight of people about to land in India to shop. Unfortunately, none of them would make it to their destination. Mm. Yeah. So now we're going to get into it. And this gets grim pretty fast. So flight 763. So remember, 763 is the jumbo jet. 1907 is the um, chartered flight. So 763 took off from Gandhi International in New Delhi at 6.32 p.m. local time on Tuesday, November 12th, 1996. At the same time, flight 1907 was being cleared to descend, because remember it was approaching the same airport, to descend to 15,000 feet as it approached um, Gandhi International. Both flights had the same air traffic controller. 
VK Data. Oh, okay. This is not this is not going where you think it is. Just okay. gonna give you a heads up there. Now, Dada is actually interviewed in the Mayday episode. So, if you want to see this air traffic controller and like being interviewed about this whole situation, it is on that um, that episode. So, Dada was an approach controller, meaning he was a specialized air traffic controller. Um, he specialized in planes taking off and landing. Like, that makes sense, right? Approach controller. Um, and that's why he was in charge of both flights at this point, because 763 was taking off and 1907 was landing. He also was in control of three other flights at the same time. So five total flights. Uh, part of that was because of the congestion at the airport due to the open skies policy. Another one of the flights that he was in charge of, one of those other three, was an inbound U.S. Air Force flight. That will become pertinent later. So both flight 763 and 1907 were also traveling on the same route, but in opposite directions, obviously. So Captain... My pronunciation is over here. Hold on. Shibaili. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, yes, that one. Yes. Aboard flight 763, told Dada he had reached 10,000 feet. So remember, they're, oops, they're ascending. They're taking off. So he had gotten up to 10,000 feet. And Dada cleared him to ascend to 14,000 feet. So that's how high he was allowed to go. At 6.40 p.m., flight 1907, the landing plane, reported it had reached its assigned altitude of 15,000 feet. So Dada had told them that they could descend to 15,000 feet. They reported, yep, we're at 15,000 feet. Now, Dada told flight 1907, identified traffic, 12 o'clock, reciprocal, reciprocal, sorry, Saudi Boeing 747, 10 nautical miles, report in sight. End quote. So basically what he was saying is like, hey, heads up, literally right ahead of you, but under you, right? Because they're at 14,000 feet. Uh, did I say miles before? I feel I like I did. did. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. They're not at 14,000 miles. <laughs> feet, 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 feet. Um, he was like, they're, they're straight ahead. So just make sure you've got a visual on them. But obviously it's okay because they're at a lower altitude. So... He, he was just giving them a, a heads up so they wouldn't be surprised because planes don't have radar on board. So they they sure. only see the visuals. Right. They rely on air traffic control. He does have a radar, right? Mm-hmm. And their instruments. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the reason this was not a problem, that there was literally a plane coming straight at them, is that they were a thousand feet apart altitude-wise, right? Plenty of room for them to literally fly one on top of the other, right? So flight 1907 would just be flying above where flight 763 would be passing right under them. Then 763 could ascend once um, Dutta saw that everything was okay. And likewise, 1907 could descend. The plan was all fine, right? That that seemed to be okay. Um, So... Of course, there was a problem, or we wouldn't be here talking about this. Uh, I put here, I must have been watching too much Love Island. I put, obs love. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So the problem was, in spite of (laughs) confirming, I know, in spite of confirming the 15,000 foot altitude, flight 1907 was, in fact, flying at or slightly below 14,000 feet. 
So they were much lower than they had said. They were much lower than they were directed. Yes, that and confirmed. Mm -hmm. Wow. So the inevitable happened, Mm. but still, I mean, it's still a one in a million chance. But at this point, because of the just the perfect storm, I mean, a thousand feet—that's cutting it way too close. I, I don't know what is customary. I I wouldn't be too bothered by it. I mean, that's how many stories? A hundred stories. If but you think of it but in terms still, of a building? how quickly planes can ascend and de- I mean, that, no. Well, let's keep going, right? <laughs> now I don't want to know anything about air traffic routes. I know, I know. <laughs> so the, the tail of flight 1907, the descending flight, clipped the left wing and horizontal stabilizer <sighs> of flight 763 as both oh, aircraft God. were traveling at approximately 300 miles per hour. Now, that's relatively slow for a plane, fortunately, I, but because they were ascending and descending. I was really hoping that they would just run into each other and everybody's dead like that. But that doesn't sound like what's happening. It's going to get worse, too. Oh, I'm really Jesus. sorry. Okay. Mm. Um, witnesses on the ground and the captain aboard that U.S. Air Force flight, who was also interviewed in the Mayday episode, um, saw a giant fiery explosion in the crowd, clouds. The crash ripped the left wing off of 763 and sent it into a corkscrew nosedive, pretty much the worst thing I can imagine. So uh, the captain aboard the U.S. Air Force flight said that it looked like a missile. Like, because he he was a military, so, and he reported that to Dutta. He's like, hey, this isn't good. That thing just fucking fell from the sky very fast. Mm -hmm. Shit. And then they they do this very dramatically in the Mayday episode. Dutta checked his radar and saw that both of the flights had completely disappeared (sighs) from the radar. Can you imagine the sinking feeling? Like, as an air traffic controller, especially an approach controller... Your job is to keep any planes from colliding. I'm sure he has a nightmare about that every single night if this guy is still alive. It would be really hard not to. Jesus Christ. He was as of the Mayday episode, which I think was 2012. So, I mean, we're just talking 96. It was 23 years ago. It's not that long ago. That is fucking terrible. This this is really bad, yeah. Um, Which is why I took so much time talking about India, because that's all interesting. And yeah, because this is going to get really bad. Um. So Dada tried to raise Flight 763 on the radio, obviously to no avail. The aircraft, 763, had started breaking up during its corkscrew, and it finally crashed into a field in Charky Dodri. Now, thankfully, it was a field, not a clump of houses or a village or anything. I guess that's the only silver lining of this. You've got to find it where you can. Um Crashed at a speed of 705 miles per Jesus hour, Christ. which is 1,135 Which is also why it broke hour. up. Yeah. Flight 1907, remember that was just mm-hmm. one plane? Yeah. Flight 1907, its tail completely missing now, experienced a very quick, very uncontrolled descent after the collision and crashed into a cotton field <sighs> four kilometers, two and a half miles away from Flight 763. Both planes crashed to the ground in Sharky Dodri, giving this horrific event its name. And I do have, you can look or not look, I have wreckage. Let me see. Photos. It's just one photo. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's pretty much what I figured. That very little left of, fuck. Yeah. Fuck that. Um, at least one witness from the ground reported seeing one of the planes divert at the last second into a field instead of a bunch of houses, whether that was controlled or just 
happenstance, who knows? Um, and no one on the ground was killed or injured. That's so small the, favors again, wherever you can find <laughs> that's, them. That's our silver right? lining. Now, Jesus, it's going to get real fucked up here for a second. So major trigger warning for human suffering here. Um, oh, I, I can already imagine it. The so the best that you could say about this collision was okay. There was this massive fireball. At least everyone died quick. That's what I was hoping for, but it that's, didn't that's happen. Not that um, way, even is though it? the descent was heartbreaking and terrifying, I'm sure um, the problem is six people survived the impact. What? Four people aboard 1907 no and two shit. aboard 763 survived the initial impact. Um, I think the two people aboard 763 were actually still buckled in. Um, wow. And, and at least those two people were recovered by rescuers. But basically, these people were so severely injured. It oh, would have yeah. been better for them to have just died instantly. Christ. So they had to... I, I can only hope I couldn't find much information. I can only hope they were just like unconscious that whole time. And that the yeah, alive fucking, part was just technical. Was you yeah. Know? Yeah, I fucking hope so. Yeah. So unfortunately, in the end, all three hundred forty nine people on board both planes died, making the Cherokee Dodgery collision the world's deadliest midair collision to date. So now, there's not a lot of information I could find on the rescue and recovery efforts, but I did find an excerpt from a book called My Daughter's Mum Essays by a journalist named Natasha Badwar on NDTV.com. You can tell I'm trying to be very sighty about my sources. <laughs> she was working she for... She appreciates it. Yes. She was working for a nearby TV news program at the time. And her, the the whole excerpt was very interesting. Um, she was saying they were just wrapping up. I mean, this happened at like 645 or something in the evening. They were just wrapping up their day from the news. You know, the evening sure. news was yeah. over when... So I guess it goes 6 to 630 in other countries too. Right, exactly. But um, wow. she got the call that, hey, uh, you got to get out of here. Special report. Exactly. Yeah. So she... Was at one of the wreckage sites, not sure which plane. She filmed it, and she recalls, like, seeing dead bodies the whole bit. Um, There's apparently a lot of people on the scene from rescue workers to journalists and eventually, like, even looky-loos and stuff. Now, this is a really trigger warning for just anger here. Um, She said that the grandson of a local powerful politician came to the site and was asked by a journalist, like, what what, what brings you here? Why, Why are you coming here? And he said, quote, just plain curiosity. Did you get that? Plain curiosity? End quote. Wow. What a fucking asshole. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I like a pun, but that's sick. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. just like, what a fucking jerk. Who could, who could be on site? Well, that's the whole, yeah, again, that's the other thing, too. And see, like, like it's, burning it's, bodies it's right and make in front a joke. Of you. Like, that's a fucking level of that's coldness a, and sociopathy. Well, I was just going to say, that's a fucking sociopath yes. to be at the scene and still be removed from the scene, like, mentally. Beyond removed. Like, yeah. literally no no regard for human life. So that's horrible. Fuck. Also, according to Bodwar, it was difficult for all of the bodies, and unfortunately there were also many body parts, uh, yeah. uh, to get identified. Yeah. And some went unclaimed. I saw one source that said 86 people ended up unidentified. Like, never claimed, That's never identified. Not and necessarily surprising. 
Many people had been burned to death before impact, and uh, the wreckage and bodies had been scattered over several miles at each site. Yeah. Uh, that was a grim one as far as, like, wreckage goes. And yeah. Stuff. Well, as far as the whole fucking... Those, pe- people, plenty of people suffered. Those six people Like, in the who, worst possible way. didn't just die. I mean, if they were conscious at all, I'm sure all they were ho- hoping was that they would die. You know? In such Maybe pain. not. If they'd maybe, gone through maybe. the whole thing, maybe they were hoping maybe. that they would live. They're like, we've been through all this. Maybe. It must be for a reason. Jesus. Now, like I said, obviously plane crashes themselves are super uncommon, let alone two planes literally crashing into each other in the middle of the sky. So the investigation into this collision focused on why the hell these two aircraft were in the same place at the same time, which initially put VK Dada in the hot seat, right? He was the air traffic controller. The person who was supposed to prevent them from being in the same place at the same time. He's literally linked to both flights, so that's obviously who we'd go to first. Absolutely. The investigation started just four days after the crash by the Lahoti Commission, led by High Court Judge Ramesh Chandra Lahoti, who would later go on to become the Chief Justice of India in 2004, which is the head of the judiciary and the Indian Supreme Court. So... Depositions were taken from air traffic controllers, including Dada and the airlines. The black boxes were recovered. They actually, that slowed the investigation a bit because they had to be sent for decoding to Europe, I believe. Um, And the communication between Dada and the two planes were decoded. And sure enough, everything Dada said happened, happened. So he was actually... Immediately, as soon as they found these communications off the hook, he told Flight 1907, 15,000 feet. He told 763, 14,000 feet. It was not his error. He was actually completely operating within procedure. The one flight that was descending, coming in, confirmed that they were at 15,000 feet. Yes, they all confirmed back that this was exactly what was going on. Completely off the hook. Yep. Which maybe, I hope, made him feel a little better. Right, that he didn't... That he he didn't didn't do anything wrong. Right. Um, So, of course, the problem then was, okay, if it wasn't air traffic control's error, whose error was it? And then, of course, the spotlight would be turned on the pilots, the planes Mm -hmm. themselves. So... Um, His instructions were not completely followed. It was determined that the crash was ultimately caused by pilot error, specifically Flight 1907, the descending flight into India, due to either communication problems or visibility issues, turbulence, or some combination thereof. So, apparently, when they were given the go-ahead to descend to 15,000 feet... Commander Cherapanov, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right, had done so, said he had done so, but then the plane kept descending past 14,500 feet. So he was going way below. He was like, okay, we're at 15,000. No, they were still going down. Um, As to why, as to his motives for this, the commission determined that it was likely due to language barriers. So air traffic control okay. was communicating in English, with which Cherep- Cherepanov either didn't speak or spoke very poorly. 
So the commander, the captain, um, Cherepanov, was relying on his radio operator, Igor Rep, to translate orders. Then Rep, in turn, um, was looking over Cherepanov's shoulders to see the flight instrumentation to confirm that everything was going on because he didn't have his own control panel. Okay. Just the... Just the um, Pilot did. So it was essentially like a little game of telephone with potentially poor translation going on. Then added to this communication complication, Flight 1907 was apparently inside a bunch of thick cumulus clouds and fighting turbulence. So then here's where it gets. This is like an ironic sick twist because this is this story has just been full of shit. Right. So um as Flight 1907 was descending below 14,000 feet, Igor Rep realized that they had gone too low. Okay. So this was all confirmed by the black boxes, right, in the flight data recorders. So he told Cherepanov, we got to get back up. And it was a result of them immediately oh. going back up that led to the collision. In other yes. words, if they, if they had just, just kept going, where they, they were. probably would have not collided. Isn't that horrible? Because that when he realized, when he realized, oh shit, we've gone too low. You got to get back up. It was full throttle up, and that led to the impact. Isn't that horrible? And again, the odds of that. Yes. Because yes. the, it the, t- been the like timing right after they had gone under yep. them or before and they could have gone right over the, them. The timing would almost have to be exactly perfect. Exactly perfect or imperfect in as the case may be. Jesus. But yes, yes. So by trying to Ugh. right a wrong, yeah. he unknowingly killed them all. I guess wrong to right. Yeah. I mean not not <laughs> deliberately. No. This was obviously all uh, no, error. Absolutely not. Whatever. Um, and I never thought of that either. If if you're flying internationally, there could be a language barrier. Absolutely. And- it was also speculated that there may have been some issues in translations as it pertained to altitude, because in Kazakhstan, air traffic altitude is measured in meters and distance in kilometers, but they were giving everything in feet and miles in India, so it's possible that there could have been some misinterpretation or misunderstanding there as well. And that'd be a lot... I mean, there's a big difference between those things, between as those we know. measurements... <laughs> And they didn't have uh, Google to type things no, into not. either. Not so. in 1996. Yeah. Now, the cause of this crash, so that, that was that's what was determined to probably have happened. So, the cause of the crash exposed several issues within the flight system infrastructure in India. For one thing, the radar that Dutta had and that other air traffic controllers at Gandhi Airport had only showed there was they only had one radar and only showed where two flight where all the flights were on a single plane you know of of measurement so they could see like east west north south but they couldn't see up and down there was no confirmation okay. of altitude for radar from the uh, at the indian airport they had to solely per, um go off of their notes and, like of what they had told them and what they had told the pilots and what the pilots were telling them back. They had no confirmation because if they had had a, a secondary radar that said altitude, Dada would have seen that 1907 was going too low and would have been like, hey, what the fuck are you doing? And knowing that he went 
too low for the other plane, probably just would have told him to stay there. Yeah, like, don't you fucking go up. You're about to crash if yeah. you do. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm making Dutta sound like a <laughs> really filthy-mouthed person. I'm, I'm sure he's a lovely man. I don't mean to do that. But um, so while this was just the case in general at the airport, because of the outdated technology, there was no fail-safe for air traffic to control to confirm that planes were maintaining the proper attitude. Now, additionally... Altitude. Do I say attitude? You did. It's, a, it's okay. <laughs> Are you maintaining a proper attitude? I don't like that attitude, Perhaps Mister. they were, but the altitude was probably more important. <laughs> so, additionally, all civilian air traffic which, remember, had recently multiplied greatly because of the open skies policy, came in and out of the same single air corridor from the airport. Um, and the other, there were three other corridors, but they were all reserved for military use. So okay. there's just a shit ton of traffic coming in this one area. Oh, okay. You look yeah, like you're no, going to no, say something. Was, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I do have a bit of a story about that, but go ahead. Okay, and this is not normally SOP. There's supposed to be multiple corridors, even for civilian traffic, so obviously that was an issue. Um, and increased the risk of something like this happening, because obviously the more traffic you have, the more likely something like this will happen. Now, very sadly, because this story hasn't been full of awful things enough, um, another thing that was caught on the voice recorders aboard Flight 763 was that during its corkscrew freefall, free the pilots were reciting a Muslim prayer um, that a follower of Islam is supposed to recite when facing death. So they saw it coming. Like They, they knew exactly what was happening. Yeah. The, yeah. And Jesus. Uh, I, I mean, I certainly hope that that prayer offered them at least some small comfort. What if it, hopefully, if they were able to recite a prayer, hopefully that meant that they were finding some sort of peace with their situation. I don't know, but that's, it's just horrible. They, so if they saw it coming, so did the passengers. It, this is just a sh- shitty situation. Well, story. once both planes are hit, they're, they're both, that's the, why, that's why I was, pilots can even I obviously, try to control. I was obviously not hoping that they would collide. No, but in doing so, I was hoping that both planes would just explode on impact. And then well, that's like it. We've talked about Jesus. the, um, the, the Mount the, the Erebus, suffering. right? The idea yeah. of just it comes out of nowhere. None of those people have yeah. any clue that mm-hmm. now you're dead. Okay, what happens yeah. after that? Nobody knows, but that's how quickly it happened for those people. Yeah. For some people on both of these flights, it didn't. It was, like we're that. going to die. It's just a matter of like, is it going to be in 10 seconds, 20? Fuck that. No, it's thanks. horrible. It's horrible what these people had to go through. Plus, what your physical body is going yes. through. You know, yep. in a nosedive yeah. off a fucking plane, and the and the other plane broke up. Yeah. So, yeah, no, thank you. This is a horrible situation. This whole thing is, a, is it, just awful. It keeps making me think of the second episode of Band of Brothers, where they are uh, dropping off the uh, paratroopers the night before D-Day. Okay. And it's just, you know, planes get shot down, and it's yeah. just fucking terrifying. Mm-hmm. It's like, could you imagine... That's the, I know I've said this before, but that's, I think, the worst thing is fear before death. Yes. Like, you just you just hope, what I would hope for any human being is, I've said this, again, I know I've said this, but like, a moment of peace before death. So mm-hmm. Like, that's, even if it's just a moment, just a, a, dying in fear is 
the the worst thing I can imagine. Mm -hmm. That's just horrible. That's just horrible. So in the end, the investigation report into the Cherokee Daudry midair collision made a number of recommendations, including increasing the air corridors, you know, so traffic wouldn't be so congested for incoming and outbound air traffic to the airports, installing a second radar that could confirm altitude. That might help. Yeah. And mandatory collision avoidance equipment on any plane traveling within airspace over India. Who'd have thunk it? So the Cherokee Daudry midair collision remains the third deadliest aircraft incident period in history behind Tenerife at number one and Japanese Airlines Flight 123. So oh, we have now that covered... Another, that was another fucking terrible we one. We have now people covered actually yeah. lived through it. And they're... Uh, go yep. listen to that one because their deaths were even worse than these poor people's. So we have now officially covered the three deadliest aircraft incidents in history and here is hoping that they never get topped. I hope they remain remain the top three. Well, here's hoping here's hoping that they never get added to. Well, that would be the the nice thing. We know there's going to be more more aircraft uh, crashes. It's just going to be. Hopefully, it's not any of us. That is what I am knocking (laughs) on. Um, but I mean, here's hoping it won't be the these numbers of people. Like that's just horrible. And that was the incredibly depressing story. Yeah, that story sucks. Of the Cherokee Dodger midair collision. Mm. Yeah, it did. It, it's really shitty. And it's like every turn, there's like another shitty detail. The When you were talking about the corridor that all the planes came through, what mm-hmm. it made me think of when I was coming back from Green Bay last year, mm-hmm. which the flight from, uh, it wasn't from Green Bay, it was from... You connected in... It was outside of Green Bay. It was like 20 miles away. Oh, Appleton, right? Appleton, mm-hmm. yes. So I was flying from Appleton back to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. That was a terrible flight. Right. Yeah, you said it was really bad. <laughs> it was, well, it was pouring down rain when yeah. we took off, and I was just like, I'm like, this is going to suck. I'm like, this is really going to suck. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, like two minutes into beverage service, they're like, oh, we need all, this is your uh, captain speaking, we need all, all personnel to take their seats, and it's just like, okay. Uh, it's not good when the <laughs> no. flight attendants have to sit down. No, it's not. Because those people are trained to take a lot of turbulence. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when they're when the captain's even like new. Thankfully, it only lasted it lasted maybe fifteen twenty minutes, mm-hmm. which was more than I wanted <laughs> yeah. it to. But anyway, eventually we came out of it, and the rest of it wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. But I remember when we landed in Atlanta, um, because we were stuck on the tarmac coming in. They were trying to find a, a gate that was open for okay, us to go yeah. to. But how our plane was, I was facing the runway where all the planes were coming in. Okay, and you could see because this is like dusk. Uh huh. You could see like perfectly. I think I saw like seven planes lined up. Oh wow! Absolutely perfectly. Like you could see, it looked like a um, formation or something like a it military did. formation. Well, it looked like a, a Orion's belt. The things in the, the oh, st- okay, it looked yeah, like a, a yeah. constellation. Okay, gotcha. That's kind of what it looked like. Uh-huh. And uh, I was like, no, those are all planes, and that's what they were. Uh-huh. But you could see them lined up one after the other, mm-hmm. and they're going to come right in on this mm-hmm. run. I mean, it was pretty cool to watch. Yeah, I mean. Air traffic control is such, it's a, um, an exact science and it's also an art. Sure. Like just the, that I've never seen Pushington. I was I know. just <laughs> going to bring that up. I've seen it one time. But I do know <laughs> that air traffic control, and I'm sure it's better nowadays than it was back when Pushington was created because of the technology, but. If in your mind you've always been wishing for the blockbuster Billy Bob Thornton, <laughs> John Cusack mashup. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's already been made. It was made like twenty. It was made like around this time. Yeah, 
Sadly. Ooh. You know what? I, I just feel really bad for, for VK Dutta because, like, imagine Gosh, being... The, the guilt. Just First oh. of all, like, as an air traffic controller, I imagine the thing that would keep you up at night is the possibility of a mid-air collision because that's pretty much as bad as Or just as it a gets. random mistake. I mean, you could tell somebody to go to the wrong one, runway. And being the air traffic controller who was in charge of these planes when they collided, even though it was clearly not, not his, his fault. Not his fault at all. Um, it seemed to be miscommunication again, not his fault. Not really anybody's fault other than a system that wasn't set up very well. Mm-hmm. It was a systemic issue, and that's that's what's so horrible is, I mean, I, I couldn't find details onto how many of the recommendations from the investigation were taken on board, you know, and actually done. Sure. Um, I can only imagine it was definitely a fair amount because that's a huge number of people to die because of these stupid things that can be fixed, Mm -hmm. you know? So I sure hope they were. And uh, it's, it's, there's nothing good about this story. This is a bad story. It's just a bad one. Um, Yeah. Mm. Super, super depressing. Yay. We're back to depression. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Unless you have personally or you know somebody who was locked up for life for doing cocaine, we're back to even more depressing <laughs> stuff. Well, I mean, I guess at least they're alive and that all these people died and some. In at least they're alive, life. but their souls yeah. are gone. But anyway, physically, they're alive. Wow. <sighs> but yeah. Is there um, any? We need to start. So on uh, my favorite murder at the end of each show, they do. They call it the fucking hooray. Okay. Where they share like um, something good that happened in their life during the week, and uh, uh, Moms and Murder does a like a Q and A corner, you know, at the end just to lighten the mood. Maybe okay. we need something like that at the end of really horrific things like this. Well, the uh, the reason I'm so exhausted today uh-huh. is because it was 93 degrees today. Which it hasn't yeah. been in the 90s in a couple yeah. of weeks. It's been getting, yeah, more in the 80s. And I believe it was 88% humidity. It's super humid here. I essentially work outside. Mm. Um, I mean, I work inside of buildings. But there they're are, not air-conditioned. Well, there's fans and stuff, but they're not closed off. And it's closed, not a, gotcha. Right. I mean, there are all garage doors and all kinds of stuff. So mm-hmm. you're essentially working outside. So today, for fun... With the, with the sun shining right fucking on me, it was it sucked. Um, I got to lift thirteen different uh, 50, 50 kilogram drums into a boiler. I don't think you're getting the point of this, um, like hooray idea, like that it's something good. But I yes, it is. How so? Because fifty kilograms is one hundred and two point two pounds. Okay. I had to lift thirteen different of oh, them. Oh, are you saying like in the direct sun? Your physical. Abilities? Is that what you're I guess. Saying? Oh, good. Because I really did good. not think I was going to make it after like Aww. the third or the fourth. Yeah. Not because I couldn't do it because it was so, so fucking hot. hot. Yeah, no, the sun will just The sun sap. was right on me. Yeah, the sun will sap all the energy out of you. But yeah, well, I somehow got through it. Good for you. Still had plenty of shit to do after that. And then about when quarter after five came, like we were done with everything for the day. Yeah. And it was maybe the only time in my life I felt like... I deserve to play on my phone. <laughs> like, I earned like, this. I've earned this now. I'm yeah. going to play my little Walking Dead game <laughs> until six o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> because I have the right to. Yeah. <laughs> so that yeah. is my good thing of the well, day. Well, good for you. 
And I'm going to be sore as fuck tomorrow. Probably, probably. Yeah, I guess my good thing is that, oh, maybe we should call it that, my good thing. My good All thing. All bad things, and then my good thing at the end. Um, I really love being self-employed. I yes. really love having my own office, and I really loved after I got up with you at 5 a.m., saw you off to work, ate breakfast, walked to work at 7 a.m., I rolled out my sleeping bag, got my little <laughs> pillow in my office, turned out all the lights, put in my headphones, put on the office on my phone, and slept for four hours. And it was lovely. And I but love having But you've earned that right because you own your own business. That's right. So if you decide That's you want right. to sleep on the floor in your office, mm-hmm. you can do that. Yep. Yep. With great responsibility comes great rewards. Yes. <laughs> great fringe benefits. Mainly that my boss doesn't mind if I take a nap all morning. Huh. There are millions of people listening to this. Oh, pff, yeah. That, sure. wish, that, <laughs> that wish they could do the same thing when they fucking show up to work. There are tens <laughs> of people listening to this who would love to do the same. If millions of people did listen to this, they would feel the exact there same way go. when they showed up to work. Because I know I've had plenty of those fucking oh days. Goodness. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is nap time, right? Like mm. we get milk and cookies too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that well, that makes me feel a little better after that because that was awful. Yeah. Uh, okay. That was the Sharky Dodgery midair collision. <laughs> yeah, it's your turn. You I keep know. Going. I know. I haven't done it. In, I know. I haven't done it in a while. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.